1: Welcome back to Bring Home Sandrine, a podcast covering the disappearance of Sandrine Jordan. This is episode four, Tomlinson Road. Thank you for joining me. This podcast has been created for an adult audience and listener discretion is advised as there is discussion about suicide and death. The thoughts and opinions in this podcast are mine. Talk about the last few days being a roller coaster ride. After hearing the breaking news of the discovery of a body, possibly Sandrine, in orderly in Brisbane, I found myself doing exactly what I imagined and talked about in episode 1 when families of missing persons hear of a body being located. I switched TV channels chasing breaking news. I searched online news websites monitoring for updates. I called Christine. Christine had not heard the news. That was a difficult conversation I would prefer not to have had. I stayed up late, hoping to catch something new. Next day, same routine, TV channels, online news, radio news. By then, I was certain the body was not Sandrine. Later that day, I was certain it was Sandrine. By the time I went to bed, I had no idea whether it was Sandrine or not. I made a conscious decision to put the podcast on hold until it was determined whether the victim was Sandrine. Christine called Queensland Police but no one called her back. She called again and spoke with two different operators. Neither operator knew of Sandrine nor the located body but recorded her details. No one called her back. I was encouraging her to go to a police station and talk to an officer. It's too easy to fob off a phone caller. She later told me she drove to Burpengary Police and parked outside. She was so traumatised by previous visits to Caboolture Police over Sandrine, she did not go in and instead drove home. I continued to encourage her to go to a police station, not call, and just ask them to request the lead investigator of the located body case to call her urgently. You will hear shortly from a woman called Taz. Taz persuaded Christine to go with her to Hendra Police Station. They both later told me the police officer they dealt with was very good, kind and helpful. Police were quietly confident the body located was not Sandrine, but they were still conducting tests, he said. Police knew of the podcast because they believed everyone who had listened to the podcast called Queensland Police to tell them about Sandrine. By my estimates, they received more than 10,000 calls. Likely not, but that is the number of listeners to my podcast to date. The police officer encouraged Christine to continue the podcast. He believed that may lead to someone calling them about another missing person they did not know about. When I started this podcast, I did not expect to become so immersed in it. It has not been a pleasant few days and I'm not even a relative of Sandrine, and nor did I know her. I'm continued to be truly amazed at the messages of support for doing this podcast. Literally hundreds of people have messaged me and made comment on the various Facebook pages of their appreciation. Thank you again. In 2013, television network SBS aired a program called Insight titled Missing. It consisted of a panel and a large audience. Many in the audience had a family member missing or had themselves been missing. I had watched the program probably around 2013 or 2014, but did not remember Sandrine's case until I watched it again recently. So clearly there was some media coverage of Sandrine's disappearance. But I still believe there was not a blitz of coverage in the important early days. I guess with the passage of time, that coverage has disappeared or been forgotten. There were several key takeaways for me. It confirmed that many people who go missing are found. Around 50% of people who go missing suffer depression or mental health issues. Many families who have someone missing suffer unresolved loss and become hypervigilant, constantly looking at faces in the street, stopping people to see if it is their missing person. And I must admit, previously when I heard mental health issues or suicide, I was judgmental. Oh yes, I thought, they've gone off and killed themselves. And I suspect many in the media and in police, government etc. are the same. I did some quick calculations on missing persons in Queensland. There are more than 300 people reported missing in Queensland each month. Each month. And up to 5% of those become long-term missing. That seems a high number to me, 15 per month. Even if it was just 0.3 of 1%, that is one person per month. I did some calculations on one person per month becoming a long-term missing person. How does the Queensland Police pick that one report out of 300 reports every month that will become a long-term missing person? The answer? With great difficulty. It comes down to each individual investigation. The officer at the coalface, that is, investigating each report received, makes a call as to whether there are suspicious circumstances or not. And that will influence and impact the direction of all future investigations on that missing person. And once humans become involved, things can go south. Mistakes can and are made. What if that officer makes an incorrect call? I intend to explore that as part of this podcast. As an example, for those of you who have listened to the Lady Venishes podcast, that is exactly what happened. A report was made by daughter Sally with concerns about her mother, Marian Barta. The officer who took the report made an incorrect call. From then on, that missing person case went south, very far south. It took more than 20 years to get the matter back on track. 20 years just to get the case back on track. Another takeaway from the Insight program were descriptions made by various persons on the panel and in the audience describing missing person investigations across all Australian police forces. Terms used included a lottery, not a strategic consideration, low priority, The lottery comment was made by a police officer who had worked in the missing persons section for many years. Not very inspiring. I came away from the program lacking confidence in governments dealing with missing people. It really is left up to the family to find their loved ones. The program runs for 55 minutes and I highly recommend viewing it. If you are time poor, discussion about Sandrine are at the 17 minute mark the 24-minute mark, and the 53-minute mark. You can find a link to the program on the Facebook pages Missing Sandrine Jordan and my Facebook page, Graham Crowley Podcast Investigations. The following comment may help you put missing persons in perspective. If a body is found today and it is obvious the person was murdered, the resources police will apply to the case are virtually unlimited. A team of up to perhaps 10 or 20 detectives may be assigned to the investigation, likely including homicide squad detectives, highly experienced, highly trained. Inquiries will continue for days, weeks, months until they have exhausted all avenues. If a person is reported missing today with no or little information as to what happened to them, it is likely the case will be assigned to a local detective in the area the person went missing, and they will investigate it when they get to it. That may be today, tomorrow, or in a few days. I wrote those comments for this episode before the location of the woman's body in orderly. And the location of her body accurately reflects the situation I just discussed. In episode 2, we heard from the coroner. There is so much to unpack from her report. The feedback I received generally centred around how a finding of suicide can be made when Sandrine's body has not been located. There are so many facets of Sandrine's disappearance to follow and report on. For now, my focus is on what happened in and around one two three Tomlinson Road, Caboolture, and how the owner of that property, John B., was connected to that. After all, that was the last place Sandrine was seen, that should be the first place to start looking. I have heard suggestions she never left the house in Tomlinson Road. I've also heard suggestions she did. In due course, I will focus on the other three men mentioned in the coroner's report. Rob P, who drove Sandrine to Tomlinson Road. Brad A, who was supposed to take Sandrine to a Buddhist retreat that day, but didn't. And Ian C, who was Sandrine's ex-partner. To refresh, John B. claimed Sandrine was at his house for about six hours that day. Around 5pm, he was loading motorbikes to go riding. Sandrine was at the front gate. And then she wasn't. Of course, if I ever get to read the police file, no doubt we will be able to expand on that information. Christine, Sandrine's sister, had the following to say in relation to John O.B. If you find it difficult to hear her at times, She is saying that John B used to ring her up in the middle of the night, usually drunk, saying they needed to search the back of his property for Sandrine.
2: John O, he, until months after Sandrine went missing years, I ended up having to cut him off because it was getting beyond the joke where I'd get phone calls at 2 o'clock in the morning, drunk as anything. You need to go and check the back of the property. You need to go and check the back of the property. The police never check the back of the property. There's a little bridge that goes in the back, blah, 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 and describe the area to a T. So after him doing that about four or five times, at the time we had a person called Taz help offer to do private detective work for us, free charge, just trying to get work done. So she organised a cadaver dog. She went and spoke to the people that lived in Johno's house at the time because he had sold the house. He'd sold the house prior to Sandrine going missing, but he had, for some reason, put an extension on it. The night she went missing from his place, he says on the counter affair, and to me in the past, he said that, or even in that coroner's report, is that she went up to the front and that his, her jacket was left on the post. Now, we're talking a distance between here to across the road from that house. He also said to me that the whole time she was there, she kept on looking down the driveway at all times. On another message, he also told me that that afternoon they sat there drinking. The other person that was at the property, Teresa, I uh, spoken to her. She said, yeah, that her and Sand- him and Sandrine had had a couple of drinks. The last time she saw her, she was asleep on the couch. Okay, no, so she had gone to sleep on the couch. This is just before his son had arrived, getting dropped off to go to Motocross. Then Jono's explained to me that they had an argument out the front of the car because Jono grabbed her laptop and she's like, why have you got my laptop? Don't touch my laptop and put it away. Grab the laptop back. And she goes, I'm going to go out the front while you're loading up and have a smoke, apparently. That's what he said, she said. After that, Jono kept on contacting me every time he got drunk, by text or by phone calls. Non stop, he said. The police never searched the property. They never searched down the back. You need to go and have a look down the back. Now the owner of the property is Jane. She's actually sold it since. I actually just spoke to her the other day because she contacted me, um, telling me that the property being excavated and everything else, and that she's gone and spoken to the construction workers to be on the watch out for remains. That's the one good thing is, even as though it's been ten years. We still have a lot of people that are fighting, trying to get justice for centering. But my thing was when Taz my daughter Ashley and everybody else went and looked at the back of the property, ran, and then there was a creek, which was also Jane's property, so backed onto hers. She said to me that she often found Jono down that back corner of the property, wandering around. One time he said that as the floods took all his pots for his plants, so apparently that's what he was looking for. Pot plant. So that was one time that she caught him down there. Like she said she couldn't see from that part of the point of property. They found the remains of a Hessian bag. They found gel, they found like remnants of material wool. Um and then they found a rolled up piece of carpet with plastic and a pair of black dress pants, women garments in it. My sister was last seen apparently wearing black pants, a mauve-coloured jumper, and she also carried a a green-knitted bag that she used as a handbag, but the old Hessian school bags that you could either turn into a backpack or use it as a strap, one of those. She always carried that with her, and apparently that's what she was seeing by other witnesses. This is about the same time that he called my brother up, Philip, at 10 o'clock at night, saying, Sandrine's gone missing. I don't know where she is. She's just taken off. We don't know where she is, and I don't know why, because we were going to move in together. We were going to – she was going to move in with me and everything else. Turns out, Jonna had a infatuation with my sister and – wanted to marry her, but my sister always refused. She always denied it, always refused it. As far as she was concerned, he was a friend and a friend only, and she made that quite clear to him. We all, all, the whole family's all aware of it. That's why she actually stopped working for him.
1: In 2016, the Channel 9 program, A Current Affair, ACA, ran a story on Sandrine's disappearance. I thought they went to a great effort to cover the circumstances of her disappearance. Well done. ACA tracked down and interviewed three of the men mentioned in the coroner's report, John, Brad and Ian. Whilst ACA named all three men, I will only be referring to them by their Christian names. In this episode, I will restrict ACA comments to John or Jono, depending on who you talk to. And acknowledgement to Channel 9 for the use of this audio.
3: Kathy Wallerhan is Sandrine Jordan's aunt and she refuses to believe Sandrine simply ran away. Oh, God, no. No.
4: No. No. Her children were her life.
3: Every day. Every day. And there's never a period when she wasn't in touch with them? Nope. Not a time. No. She would always ring them and they would ring her. Sandrine Jordan disappeared from this acreage property north of Brisbane almost four years ago. Now, Sandrine had spent most of the day there visiting a friend. That friend, John, is one of the people her family are hoping can help them work out what happened. Chris Allen from A Current Affair, John. Just wonder if I could ask you some questions about Sandrine Jordan. Oh, you can. John used to work with Sandrine, and the two became friends. Obviously, you were the last person to see her alive. Yeah. yeah. you've no idea what happened to her? You were the last person to see her that day? No, I had no idea. John says he's been interviewed by detectives about events that day, but denies he had anything to do with Sandrine's disappearance. Hey, The family seem to think you've given conflicting versions of what happened. They say at one stage, say she left quietly out the front. At another stage, she ran out the back and hid in the bush. No, I've given possibilities that I thought may
1: have happened after I last saw her. I had no opportunity to hurt her. I had no reason to. At this point, the current affair then speak with Sandrine's brother, Philip.
0: There's got to be somebody that knows. You know, Sandrine and Justin just go missing. There's got to be a
3: clue. Sandrine's brother, Philip, got a call from John the night his sister disappeared.
0: I didn't know him. And um, he seemed quite concerned about Sandrine.
3: And of course... I guess at that point you didn't realise that he was probably the
0: last person to see her. That's right, yeah. Um, He mentioned to me that um, Sandrine left the house with a person in hand, and that's it.
1: At this point, ACA jumps back over to John.
3: Well, if you were concerned about her welfare, why didn't you go to the police? I'd actually promised to Sandrine that I wouldn't call her brother. She didn't want anyone to know where she was.
1: And I had to break that word because I was worried about her.
0: Just a quick hi and peace be with you guys. All right,
3: see ya. Sandrine sent regular messages to her children who split their time between Sandrine and her ex-husband.
0: What?
1: And the final word from Brother Philip.
0: I miss her company. I miss her company of her kids, of her children. We used to spend time with, um, and the and family gatherings we used to have.
3: When she disappeared, Sandrine was looking for somewhere to live, having recently broken up with her ex-boyfriend, Ian. Six months ago, one of the locals told Sandrine's family that this property had never been searched. Now this property is just a few doors down from where Sandrine was last seen. So family and friends got together and conducted their own search and you won't believe what they found.
4: They had found some material, which was similar to
5: this material here, that we just found here, so the police obviously didn't see that.
0: Um, black pants, a bra, um, some sunglasses, and some shelves, and Sandrine loved her
3: shelves. The clothes, which were wrapped in an old carpet, matched the description of what Sandrine was wearing. Jan, who rents the property, remembers it well. And she came up visibly shaken, and she said, I think I'm going to have to call the police.
4: I said, why,
5: what's wrong? She said, I've found clothes similar to the ones Sandrine was wearing when she disappeared. Oh, no. Next minute, it, there was coppers everywhere. So they said they were DNA tested, and
0: it would take some time to do that. But um, it's been six months now, and we've heard nothing.
1: And just bear in mind, whilst the ACA reporter mentions the three men whose names were given in the inquest, in this episode, he is only speaking to John B.
3: There was junk all over that property when I bought it, including clothing. Anything could have been washed up. All three men have been interviewed by police. None of them have been declared a person of interest and all three claim they've suffered as a result of Sandrine's disappearance. Can you think of any reason why anyone would want to hurt Sandrine? Again, there's different possibilities there, but I can't prove anything.
1: I have listened repeatedly to that comment made by John B, and I still cannot fathom exactly what he is hinting at.
3: The police won't discuss Sandrine's case with us. We've been told they've run out of clues and passed the matter to the coroner. So now the family's only hope is that the coroner can come up with some kind of explanation. In the meantime, they're struggling to let go of what's happened.
1: The neighbour referred to in these stories, Jan, who previously lived three doors down from 123 Tomlinson Road, now lives on Bribe Island. Bribie Island lays 30 kilometres east of Caboolture a beautiful part of Moreton Bay region. I recently caught up with Jan.
4: I'm sitting on Bribey Island, looking out over the channel. I'm here with Jan, who was previously a neighbour in Tomlinson Road. She lived a couple of doors down from 123 Tomlinson Road. Hi, Jan. Thanks for joining me. Hi. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Jan, you lived on Tomlinson Road for 30 years, is that correct? Yes, I did. When did you leave there? Two thousand and twenty. You knew Jono, yeah. Yeah, I used to work for him for a little while. Why did that stop? I don't know. I felt like he was watching us all the time. I don't know. I just felt uncomfortable. How well would you say you knew Jono? Not real well. No. Just a neighbour? Yep, yep. Did you know Sandrine? No. Never met her?
5: No, never met
4: no. Never saw her? Never saw her. Can you tell me about Friday the 13th of July 2012, or what you remember of that day?
5: mean the what I heard, uh, I don't know what time it was, but I was out the front of my place and I heard three gunshots. And I know that there is a rifle range up the back of uh, Caboolture Showgrounds, which is at the back of me, but it was not that. It was very close and it comes from the
4: direction of John's place. And you told me you're not sure if it was Friday, but it was around that day. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And you can place it around that time how? Well, the police put
5: up a little tent and they wanted all the information. And it just worried me so much that I heard I had heard these gunshots that I thought, I've got to go over and tell them. So it must have been a couple of days before that.
4: I've worked out the
1: tent that you're talking about probably went up on the 18th of July, uh the Wednesday. So it was some time before that that you heard the gunshots, yeah?
4: Yeah, yes, yes,
5: that's for sure. Yes, and it was—I don't know—I've never heard gunshots from the, that direction, and they were—they sounded very close.
4: Were you ever spoken to by the police?
5: No, nope, not one word, not one word. They all came into my property, uh, the detectives and everybody, through my gates, down the back, where her clothes were found on my property, but never stopped to ask me anything.
4: Now, this is hearsay, I know, but you heard a story, the story is told to you about the day Sandrine went missing, is that right?
5: Oh, yeah. Uh, on the Friday, I can't even remember who told me, but I was told that they were going to take the boys over to the showgrounds to race their bikes, motorbikes, and they were – he said to her, go up, can you go up and open the gate? I've been there 30 years and I have never seen that gate shut, never. They had no dogs or anything, so no, no, I don't believe that at all.
1: Did you ever see John O wandering around your property?
5: I did. I don't know what I was doing. I was outside one day and I just – Looked down the back and Jono was walking across the back of next door and my property. He was looking around, kicking things with his foot. I thought, what's he doing? And I uh, fronted him about it and he said he was looking for his pot plants that had washed down from his place in the last flood. So I thought, well, there's been floods before and you've never done it before.
1: Do you know what year that was? No. (laughs) Okay. Okay.
4: I can't remember. Uh, now? Oh, hang on. I think it was six
5: months after Sandrine went missing.
1: Why do you think that?
5: I don't know. Because I, look, I looked up the floods that we had around that time. I don't know. I don't know.
4: <laughs> now, some people
1: asked if they could search your property, didn't they?
5: Yeah, they come to my gate one day and they told me that Sandrine was missing and I said, oh, look, go for it. You no, know, help yourself and come in, just ring me before you come. They bought cadaver dogs
1: or whatever it is
5: <laughs> with them. Uh, yeah, They come and went
1: all the time. And they searched your property and next door property with a cadaver dog?
5: I don't know. They went down the back yep. and they were down there for a few hours. And I think they did the back of John's place too. Okay. They didn't find anything.
1: Didn't they find some clothing?
5: That wasn't the cadaver dogs. No. That was
1: the da-
4: one of the daughters, I think.
1: Oh, so that was different. That was separate to the that cabin. separate. Seven. okay. Well can you tell me about the time they found the clothing?
4: Yeah, the, the girls
5: again come to the gate and so I go in, you know, help yourself. The next minute they you know, they were there for a while. And they come up and they were visibly as I said on that current affair interview, they were visibly upset. They were crying and because they f- they said they found the clothes down there that Sandrine had been wearing, fitted uh, her handbag, pants, top, shells. She had a shell necklace.
4: And they were wrapped in carpet, weren't they?
5: Yes, they were wrapped in carpet and found down the back of my property. Not, There's not mine. I've been there for a long time and it's definitely not mine.
4: It's been washed down from John's direction.
1: Did any of your neighbours at that
4: time replace their carpets? Yes, they did. Who was that? John?
1: Do you know when he replaced the carpets?
0: To find out if it's right for you.
5: It was after after Sandrine
1: disappeared, and some of those carpets ended up down the back of your place, didn't they? Washed down.
5: Yeah, because I'm downhill, and everything gets washed from Lagoon Creek. Yeah, comes down.
1: Jen, you saw the uh, current affairs program, didn't you? I did. Did you have any comment or thoughts about the interview with John O on that program? I sure
5: did. I watched it, and in my opinion, he was lying. I do know a little body language, and to me, that man was lying. I think the bloke asked him, did he know where Sandrine, or do you know what happened to her? And he said no, and he then stuck his head straight into his toolbox turned away from the camera.
1: Okay. There was a lady living in the caravan on Jono's property at the time Sandrine went missing, yeah?
5: Yes, but I've never seen her. I see the caravan parked there. It was there for a while, but I've never seen anybody coming or going. You
1: used to walk past that house frequently. Is that the case?
5: Yes, trying to get fit up and down the road.
1: Did you ever see anyone outside Jono's place?
5: I did see a lady in a four-wheel drive one day. She was parked out the front, and I said to her, are you okay, because it's a remote area, are you okay? And she said, yes, I'm just waiting for my kids. I said, oh, are they Jono's kids? And she said, yes. I said, why don't you drive down the driveway? She said, oh, no, I'm not going in there.
1: Do you know why she said that? No, wouldn't have a clue. But she wasn't willing to go down there? No. Do you know anything about Jono?
5: I think he might have been an alcoholic. I used to work for him down there, and I sometimes I'd put the rubbish in the bin, and it's full of alcohol bottles, hard alcohol. So, and he just.
1: You never heard any disturbances coming from his place, yelling or swearing, anything like that?
5: No, no. I was too far away. I was two blocks down, three blocks down. Yeah, so, no,
1: not really. All right, thank you. And then there is Taz. Taz is an interesting, funny, laid-back lady. A grandmother. She came to meet me with her partner, who also happens to be called Jono. When we met, she was on babysitting duties. So I also got to meet two granddaughters, who were excited about being on an adventure, in between sipping on their thick shakes. If awards are ever handed out to citizens for care, compassion and persistence, Taz will be at the head of the pack and full marks for her looking out for someone she has never met. I could tell you everything Taz has done, and it is a lot, or you can hear from Taz herself.
4: I'm back in Tomlinson Road, Caboolture, just down the road from 123. From time to time you'll probably hear the wildlife and birds in the background. I'm with Taz, and Taz has an amazing story to tell. Hi Taz. Hey, how you going, Graham? Good, thanks. Tess, you've been on this case over eight years, is that right? That's correct, yes. You haven't been paid for it? (laughs) No. No, I've not been paid, no. And you don't know Sandrine, do you? No, never met Sandrine. Didn't know the family or anything before this. How did you become involved? Uh, Funny story. I was running a car enthusiast page called Queensland Cars and... I noticed a post of Sandrine missing, circulating, so I decided to share it. And the car community is always a very, you know, caring community, so we all seemed to jump on board. And one of the followers offered to start up a car cruise. So that's what we done. We created a car cruise to raise awareness for Sandrine. Do you remember what year that was? Hmm, 2014? I'm guessing now. <laughs> yeah, a lot of water under that bridge. <laughs> Wholeheartedly. <laughs> now, we've talked before, obviously, and you told me you've been down a lot of rabbit holes. Oh, I certainly have. I've been down to places that, yeah, you, you wouldn't even imagine. Have you had any positive leads on Sandrine? I believe the closer to home... as in Kabulcha, that we were digging, the more things that we were finding out. Do you think she committed suicide? Most definitely not. Do you have any suspects in mind for her disappearance? Yes. One or more? I think more than one. Now, we're here at What Can You Tell Me About 123 Tomlinson and John O, the previous owner. Well, there's definitely a lot of history here, isn't there? Looking at it now, I cannot believe how much it has changed from even when I very first came out here. Uh, I've spoken to John a few times. First of all, I would actually like everyone to know that there seems to be this is picture painted with the media on how things went that day that Sandrine was dropped off. Uh, first of all, it was not her mother that dropped her off here like I have seen. It was Rob from Linfield Drive. When Sandrine arrived at O's property, there was another lady there by the name of Terry. Uh, She actually resided on the property out the back in the caravan. She'd been there for not too long, I think weeks, if that, she'd been there. Yeah, so when Sandrine arrived, it wasn't just John alone at that property. Terry was also there. I've spoken to Terry. And she sat down, had a cup of coffee with Sandrine. They had a chat for a good while. I think she estimated approximately an hour they were sitting there having a chat. Sandrine had spoken of her children on how much she missed them and how much she loved them. Terry was able to observe throughout the day the goings on of what had happened, where John appears to have a lot of blanks he pulls up. Terry had seen Sandrine helping John working on the bikes. Uh, At one stage, even asked Terry if she could borrow a screwdriver because she was working on the bikes herself. Terry had also seen Sandrine and John walk down into the bush, into his back paddock. They just went for a walk. They returned a short time later. Uh, Towards the end of the day, when Terry had observed that the two boys had arrived, one being John's son and another being his friend, well, shortly after she seen what she thought was Sandrine sitting in the front of John's vehicle as they were loaded up ready to leave with the bikes, she'd turned around to do something in her van and when she looked back, she'd seen the vehicle going down the driveway and they were leaving. And that's how she thought Sandrine had left the property. Did the police interview Terry? I'm going to make a presumption and say yes. While saying that, I have come across that many that they haven't interviewed, myself being one. (laughs) I don't think that they have actually done much work on this at all. You've interviewed John O, yes? Yes, multiple times. What can you tell me? Ah, confusion. If there's one thing that is irregular with John, is one, His love of Sandrine. There's no doubting he loved Sandrine. And the second would be fear. He is absolutely terrified to talk. Why? Well, we'd have to ask him that. (laughs) I've tried and I've come up with many numerous different things. The clearest answer he ever gave me was they are trying to drag me into the same ice circle that Sandrine was caught up in, and I can't do it. I'll end up dead. Do you know who he was referring to when he said they? He wouldn't say. And if I pushed it, I can't remember was always the answer. Do you think John had anything to do with Sandrine's disappearance? No. I do believe he knows what happened, though. What can you tell me about some gunshots around that time? Jan had told me when I was talking to her one day that she heard gunshots that she believed to be on the night that Sandrine had disappeared coming from somewhere very close out the back. When she approached police, when they had the tent set up down the end, she told me that they had said to her it's probably from the gun club and pretty much told her to go home. She said that she'd knew she she lived here for over 20-odd years or so, and she said, I know the sound of the gun club, and that wasn't the gun club, she says. I mean, if you look down there, you can see where the driveway was, where those brick. Yes. Yeah. So you see here the driveway, the gate over there for the church? Yes. The church had an event that night. At 5.30, they had people coming and going. They were wrapping up their event and getting ready to head off. That gate was open. Cars were coming out of there to leave. If Sandrine was standing up at the gate like he originally stated, well, he stated that to police, surely somebody at that church would have seen her driving straight past her. I mean, how many metres? That's stuff all. They would have seen her. Somebody would have seen her. That gate to the church is almost uh, immediately across the road, isn't it? And it's probably only 80 metres between the two. Yeah, it's very close. And, you know, these are people that I went and spoke to all of them and they gave me the reassurance that they had put a thing over when they had their church thingy. They had actually asked all the followers there, you know, have, has anybody seen anything, encouraged them to call police if they had, and there was nobody that came forward from there saying that they had seen anything untowards that night. Now, as far as you're aware, the police searched 123 Thomason. Oh, maybe they pretended to. You, you don't know what they did or didn't do? Oh, I know plenty of what they didn't do. Oh, I'm asking what they did do. <laughs> I really don't know what they did do. <laughs> um, but I believe they did not search the two adjoining properties. Do you have any knowledge of that? Oh, I can tell you that they did not search any other of these properties. So, on this part of Tomlinson Road, as you can see, there were four properties, four houses, all on a uh, five-acre block each. They did not search these other three properties. They went all the way around them. So, I started with Jan's and found the clothing there. And later on, I think it was 2019, Diana, Sandrine's sister, had arranged a cadaver dog. And we went to – we'd done Jan's property with the cadaver dogs. We'd done John's property with the cadaver dogs. And we also done the immediate neighbor with the cadaver dogs. Tell me about the day the clothing was found down on Jan's property, if you would. Uh, yeah. So, Jan had actually mentioned that she'd seen John in her back paddock. Uh, it was a considerable amount of time before Sandrine Evan went missing. I was more interested in the fact that there was access to the back through the back creek. there. There was access to the other properties. So, I asked her if she'd mind if I had a look after she explained that the police never went onto to her property. She was fine with that, so it was the next week I believe I came out. I had Sandrine's niece Ash, and her friend Andrew with me, and we were down there having a look around. I had a metal detector kind of doing my thing, just walking around, and I spotted this purple material coming out of the ground. It was caught on some metal frame of something. So we went back to that and I literally just followed the material down into the ground where we seen a roll of carpet wrapped up in black plastic. So, yeah, we started pulling that out and seeing some clothes in there. And Do you remember what you actually found in wrapped up? Yeah, the majority I do. I didn't see everything because by the time the police turned up, they kicked me out. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was it? So the first thing, obviously, was the purple material. We cannot state that that was Sandrine's jacket. No way in hell. That was far too deteriorated to say at all what it could have been. What we do know is that it was purple material. Uh, it was very frayed, very. After that, we found beer cans. There was a lot of like little bric-a-brac stuff. There was a screwdriver in there, oddly enough. Uh, We found a pair of black dress pants that looked to be similar style of what Sandream was last seen in. And we found this other, uh, you know like the Hessian handbags. It was like that material. And again, we couldn't say that it was a handbag because it was so deteriorated. It was just the same material, you know, and color as what, Sandrine had apparently had. And some shells or something like that. Yeah, there was a shell there, and the shell itself really caught my attention because it was so beautiful. It literally fit in the palm of my hand. It was quite big. That shell with. Like, there was heaps of other stuff there that I didn't go into. Oh, there was a bra. We found a bra. After that, I decided to come up and ask Jan if she had ever dumped anything down there or, you know, anything along those lines if she knew about it. She came down and had a look and she was like, I have no idea. So we decided we needed to call the police then. Did uh, John drink? Oh, yes. Everyone can tell you that John was drinking a lot at that stage. You mentioned before Jan saw John down the back of his property before Sandrine went missing. Are you sure about that? Yes, she said that it was the 2011 floods. The water had washed a lot of his plants down because he had a nursery up there and she said she stuck her head out the door one day because she thought she'd seen someone down the back paddock and she looked and it was John down there trying to catch all of his plants that had been washed down.
1: She told me she thought it was
4: after Sandrine went missing Definitely not? No. No? No, it was before. She's the one that actually told me it was the 2011 one. Okay. Every single conversation that I've had with anyone in relation to looking for Sandrine has been recorded. You have a whole history of conversations then? I have thousands of conversations. <laughs> this could be a very long podcast, Taz. <laughs> it will be if you want to hear the conversations. <laughs> You mentioned the police have never interviewed you. Yeah, they've never spoken to me, apart from the day that the clothing was found. Because it's down the back paddock, which is a fair way down the back, they didn't want to walk down, so they asked me to get into the back of their car so they could drive down, and then they left me locked in there. After that, the only conversation was them getting my ID to fill out the property field receipt and then they told me to leave Conlinson Road and not to return. <laughs> <Small> sports, sports. <laughs> I know, right? Imagine if you could see through there. So from John's driveway up there, you can actually look through that car park, and on the other side is Parish Road, and there's a little side street there called Candle Crescent. The night the Sandrine went missing, there are two witnesses from up, I think, Convent Court, I think it was, who had observed John for hours sitting on Parish Road, the intersection of Candle Crescent, on parked on the wrong side of the road for hours. So they estimated at approximately 10 p.m. they noticed him. He was still there well after midnight. And did you interview these people? Yes, I did. He was there until after midnight that these two men had observed. At one stage, they explained, they started to walk down towards his car and then they heard him yelling like he was fighting with somebody. So, they're like, yeah, nah, stuff that. And they went back. Did you speak to John about that? Yes. And? When I asked him why he was parked across the road in Parish Road, he went quiet, staring at me. And he, he goes, I can't remember. And that's been his response to that any time I've asked him. This has been multiple times. And was that a go-to line for a lot of questions you had for John? Yeah, it was. Most definitely. He had a couple of different theories. So he told police that she walked to the gate and was waiting at the gate for him to pick her up on the way out, and then she wasn't there. I'm a little confused as to why anyone would go and stand in the rain. It's not like the gate was being opened or closed. It was always open. It was never shut. So that statement alone is a little confusing. However, he did send text messages to Kathy, Sandrine's aunt, stating that she took off out the back. The police haven't searched the back paddock properly. She took off out the back. He told me at one stage that she was sleeping. She was just too tired. She had laid down inside and she was watching the movie Red Dog and she fell asleep because she was so tired. There's been a multiple multiple different things that he's he's stated. Christine, Sandra's sister, has told me that John o, or John used to ring her up repeatedly saying the police haven't searched the back. Yeah. Did he mention anything else like that to you? Oh yes. Yes. So I'm gonna estimate that there's approximately six different theories that John had and It was a repetitive thing. So between Christine, Kathy, and myself, it was always one of us that would cop his drunken texts or phone calls and it would be at all hours. I once had messages from him at 2 o'clock in the morning. It was, yeah, very prolonged (laughs) and not much to go on at the same time. Okay. (laughs) Can you tell me some of the rabbit holes you've been down, Taz, in relation to Sandrine? Ah, yeah, sure. So, over the years, we have gone from Cooktown to Wilkesdale out past Kingaroy. We have travelled to New South Wales. There's been quite a few in a very wide space. Actually, I, I don't think there is one state that has not been in this investigation, so to speak. Even someone from Tasmania reached out to us that had spoken to Sandrine in the months leading up to her disappearance. So we've had the Rosetta Bunton letter that came from Victoria. We've spoken to people in Victoria. We got a phone call from somebody that lives up in the Cooktown area up north. Uh, this particular person reached out to me after checking out Sandrine's page because he was convinced that there was somebody up there hiding out that could have possibly been Sandrine. So we flew up there, and I'd gone up, I think it was Diana's partner, her husband. Uh, we flew up there, and we went and interviewed this man, and then we went directly to this woman that he was convinced was Sandrine, and it wasn't Sandrine. So we have gone to many, many different places. <laughs> there was a, a Jesus cult outside King Kingaroy that you spent a lot of time on, looking for Sandrine. Can you tell me about that in less than 10,000 words? <laughs> I don't know if I can get it all in for you. Yeah, I spent months out at Wilkesdale with AJ's cult out there called Divine Truths. Uh, while they are very interesting and um, definitely uh, species of their own, we could not find sandrine out there. There were some possibles I mean everywhere you're going to go there's going to be possibles. We were trying to follow the more confirmed things you know the the stronger the evidence, the further we'd follow it. After spending a couple of months out there, like every day, driving out from Caboolture, driving all the way out to Wilksell, which I don't know if you know where that is. It's not that close. About three hours? Yeah, roughly about that, yeah. I got to know every back street out there. (laughs) I can tell you he has a huge following. (laughs) I can also tell you all the farmers he's upset out along the way out there. So, it was very, very detailed out there, hundreds of hours, months of work out there. What keeps you going now? I think I'm just stubborn. That's the only way that I can really think about it. It's like, no, I've, no, I've put this much into it. I need, to, I need to get to the end. However, the end hasn't come yet. <laughs> so I'm getting a little older and a little slower. <laughs> well, I hope it comes while you're on the case, Tez. <laughs> so do I. So do I. Tez. I've read a lot and heard a lot about a woman called Varney. What can you tell me? Varney has a lot of interesting stories. A lot. She has a lot of history with Sandrine. In fact, Varney is one of the key people that I wanted to focus on because she had more to do with Sandrine in those four months from when Sandrine moved from her aunt and uncles at Port Macquarie and came back to Queensland. She went straight to Ian's place, and from then up until the day that she went missing, it was always Varney. Varney was around her all the time. They got up to a lot. How many times have you spoken to Varney? Do you think? Ah, uh, I can't even count. It would be well over twenty. And how many statements have you taken from her? I'd say approximately five recorded, and. In- You're aware the police didn't interview Varney. I'm aware that Varney didn't want to speak with the police. A lot of the people that I spoke to do not want to talk to the police. That's not what the coroner's report says. I'm just going from memory, but I think it said she was too ill to be interviewed. I think that the coroner's report is just a pretend one, and they didn't try.
1: I am certain we'll be hearing more from Taz in future episodes. As she said, she has thousands of hours of recordings. And with Taz's help, maybe we can even bring home Sandrine. Regrettably, I do not think we can rely on the government to bring her home. In episode two, I had my lovely daughter-in-law, Kate, read out the coroner's report. This was point 31.
5: 31. Police established she stayed with a friend called Varney B., who was said to be
0: alcoholic and too unwell to provide a statement.
1: You have just heard what Taz said. I have read a statement taken by Taz and signed by Aveni. I believe it to be that person named in point 31 of the coroner's report. I find that disturbing. What else is wrong with the coroner's report? But to be fair, we do not know yet whether that was a finding by the police or an interpretation of the police report by the coroner. If the coroner read the police report accurately, I will be keen to find out why police simply didn't report Varney as refusing to provide a statement. There is so much to analyse from all these conversations. I do need time to mull them over. And please feel free to give me your thoughts. I do work better if people give me angles I may not have considered. But I will say this. If you think Jono is somehow involved in Sandrine's disappearance, fasten your seatbelt, as we have a long way to go yet. That's it for Tomlinson Road. Please join me next time, where we continue exploring what happened around Tomlinson Road on that fateful Friday, 13 July 2012. If you have information about the disappearance of Sandrine Jordan, I'd love to hear from you, particularly if you contacted Queensland Police about her disappearance but were not interviewed or where you were interviewed and you feel your information was not acted on. I'd also like to hear from you if you have previously posted information on the Facebook page, Missing Sandrine Jordan, that you believe is significant and relevant. There are so many comments on that page, it is easy to overlook something. And no disrespect to the fine, excellent work the admins do on that page. They really do a great job. You can contact me directly at my email address, graham5353 at live.com. Discretion and confidentiality is absolutely guaranteed. If you would prefer to remain anonymous, that too is fine. Go to the website of one of my other podcasts, www.whokilledleanholland.com. You can email me from there. Your email address is not recorded on that website. I have placed these contact details in the show notes for your reference. Please rate and review the podcast for me. It does raise the awareness of the podcast and through that, Sandrine's disappearance. If you follow the podcast, you will be advised when a new episode drops. The Facebook pages are Missing Sandrine Jordan and Graham Crowley Podcast Investigations. This podcast was made possible with the grateful assistance of the ACAST Creator Network. Music Inevitable Hope by RKVC. You'll find all my contact details in the show notes at the end of each episode. Thanks for joining me on this journey.